A king does not abide within his tent while his men bleed and die upon the field. A king does not dine while his men go hungry, nor sleep when they stand and watch upon the wall. A king does not command his men loyalty through fear, nor purchase it with gold. He earns their love by the sweat of his own back and the pains he endures for their sake. That which comprises the hardest burden. A king lives first and sets down last. A king does not require service of, of those who he leads, but provides it to them. He serves them, not they him. That is a king, your majesty. A king does not expend his, his substance to enslave men, but by his conduct and example makes them free. Friends, it's Morgan Snyder, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. To mark this one-year anniversary, my sense was to offer a two-part Become Good Soil podcast series called The Campfire. And the reason of The Campfire is this is kind of an intimate, behind-the-scenes two-part series. In part one, we're taking a sneak peek behind the scenes with Pablo Cerrone and a group of his like-hearted allies who walked through Becoming a King over six weeks right when it launched last year. Jesus, what are you saying? What are you stirring in my own heart? What questions do I have? As I consider my life, my current circumstances, the people that I love, as I consider my future, what questions do I have? The journey starts when we change our exclamation for points for question marks. When we are humble enough to say, I may not have it. I may not have it all figured out and, and to approach life and the journey with curiosity and and wonder and ask. So this is our chance this morning. And I want to just open the, open the stage for you guys to ask the questions. Um, I ask you to send some of them via email. And I think that the best application of that was just the exercise of pausing and sitting down and asking yourself that honest question. What questions do I have? Where, where would I start? And, and today is your chance to just openly ask that question and, and, and for us to have Morgan share some of his thoughts on that. Who wants to start? I think one thing that I didn't weigh heavily enough was risk carries with it the chance that things can fall apart. Otherwise, it's not risk. Do you mind talking about um, maybe like how, where you've risked and it hasn't worked and how you kind of keep your heart in it and keep your heart moving towards this journey of becoming a king in light of the disappointment um, in those cases where you risk towards God and it's just not working? Yeah, Rick, it's, it's very great to see you again, buddy, by the way. Um, yeah, it's a very holy question because not only have, have I discovered, you know, and recovered that it opens you up to the possibility um, of failure, but what I would add is it opens up to the reality of the essential need for failure, that risk invites you to fail. Um, I remember there was a 
a guy, a, a mentor that's a climbing guide. And uh, I was learning how to lead climb, very, very basics. And I had two guys in my life that climbed a lot. And one of them, uh, who I felt really safe with, I asked him how many times he had taken a lead fall. And he just kind of looked um, with one glass eye, actually, that he lost on a climb on Everest. And he said, oh, hundreds of times. The other man that was teaching me how to climb that I was always uncomfortable with, that was really good. Um, I asked him how many times he had taken a, a lead fall. And he said, I, I don't know that I ever had. And it was the startling contrast. It was the man that oh. failed and learned how to recover heart through failure that actually become more a safe and trustworthy king. Mm. And failure is mm. actually essential DNA to the restoration and recovery of our whole heart. Because here's the reality is we can control some things. We're meant to rule and reign and to exercise a fierce mastery. But the nature of reality and the design of the story in which we find ourselves, we can't control everything. And therefore, just logically, there are circumstances and outcomes we can't control. There are places in which we will fail. And so if the goal is success, um, we will always lose heart. If the goal is to become true and to become wholehearted, literally nothing can kill us. That's where we have Paul in this beautiful life where he says, you think I should be a mess. You think I should be way worse than you find me. He's in jail and he's about to be martyred. He says, but I'm not. I have joy that you can't understand because I've learned a secret through a process of becoming, right? He died to the false self and he rose to a new man. And so I would say, Rick, just very personally, I think the biggest transition of my life, my wife was in a psychiatric treatment hospital and um, I was with my son and like my whole life is rescuing the hearts of people. And here the accusation is you can save others, but you can't save yourself. I had the flu in the middle of summer, which that's never happened to me. And I was out on a bike ride. It just rained and the steam was coming off the hot asphalt. And I remember thinking, I'm a failure. Like, it was like a, a statement of identity. I'm a failure. And then the father came and he made a distinction. He said, you're not a failure. You're a son who's failing. And this is all really good news. And that's when I had a decision at a crossroads. Am I going to fight to save my marriage in something I can't control? In other words, I'm only loved if I can save my marriage or Am I going to choose to consent, like we talked about in this last teaching, to become the kind of person that whatever happens to my marriage, I choose love. I choose to love my wife, no matter what happens in my marriage. And that was a shift. I can't control if Sherry gets healed. I can't control if I'm going to get divorced or not. But I can have say over the man I become through this failure. And that was my biggest day of failure, I think, that I chose to say, this is Christ manifesting in my life to ultimately recover joy, recover goodness. So, so failure is essential. And as we mature, it actually becomes good news. Wow. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that too. I appreciate it. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever shared that story. That's really fun. It's a, it's, it's a joyful thing to, to see the fruit of it. What else? Well, that actually helped me quite a bit, um, and and 
uh, was directed towards one of my main questions too, is that being entrusted with his kingdom, you know, I feel is a huge responsibility <clears throat> and I failed so many times in that way. So um, that's actually a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, some great advice in that way. You know, if I had failed in my business as many times as I failed in my own little kingdom here, you know, I, I would be a disaster and broke, I think, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yes. um, so, uh, but, so that was very helpful. How, uh, one other question too, is that in really finding full dependency, you know, uh, and having lived a life, most of my adult life, really um, executing my own will and not really trying, even attempting to submit to his will and trying to reverse that now, how do I, um, how can I be certain at times that I'm not still relying on my own instincts and my own will moving forward and that it is his will? Yeah, Sean, man, these are deep waters. And so by not knowing your story, I tread really lightly. So, you know, there's just some real um, sacredness as a visitor. And so I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, but to honor your question, to get to your first piece, uh, one of the things I've recovered in this process is Jesus. Um, what, what words do we use to describe him? And, and one of the things that Dallas described he said, Jesus was relaxed and unhurried. Those are two words that he said he would associate with Jesus, the first words that would come. He was relaxed and unhurried. You talk about a man entrusted with much. He was entrusted with saving the world. And he was born into an age with no leverage, right? There was no technology. This is before the Industrial Revolution. Like, and he was relaxed. And so it causes me to ask, how do you become the kind of person that can, like you said, Sean, hold intention. Holy crap. I've been entrusted with a lot. I don't want to screw up and actually find yourself relaxed because you are at ease with yourself and you are relying in a very fundamental way on something bigger than yourself. Um, I think that's really important to notice that about Christ and learn how to embody that. And, and so to get to your second idea and question, which is beautiful, is how do you know? Well, ultimately, the will of self and the will of God come into conflict, and one of them has to die. And so I think one question I would ask to you is what is being put to death? Uh, Pablo shared with me, I think, one of the most important scenes I've ever encountered in a film. Um, it's the scene of Gladiator um, with Maximus and Marcus Aurelius, where he's being invited to become a king. And I would invite you as just some taking action after this session in this next week is grab that scene. I actually have a I can pull it up um, and put it in the chat at some point. But that scene is one of the most powerful scenes because Marcus Reyes is coming to you saying, the, emperor, the empire needs a good king, and you're that man. Would you become the emperor of Rome? And Maximus says, says, with all my heart, no. I don't want that. 
and 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 Aurelius says, Marcus says, that's why it must be you. And so, what I would challenge you, Sean, to consider is which one is being put to death? Because as a king, we are always being put to death for a greater life to emerge. And so the question isn't, are you choosing death, but what's putting, being put to death? And when we put to death the will of God, it strengthens the self-life. It causes us to become self-sufficient in our, in our deep places, in our, in our soul, it, expressed in our emotions, seen in our reactions. But when we put to death the self-life, the, the life of God increases where we get very responsive to God. Our life becomes a, a posture of curiosity where we go right here, right now on this day. What, how do we respond? How do we move? How do we hear God's voice? So that would be my question back to you is what is being put to death? And it's always an intersection, a collision of two wills. Thank you. Morg, one, one question adding on to what John mentioned, and um, it's come up in, in our fire teams and throughout the journey, so I'll bring it up because it's related somehow to what John is mentioning as well, is that the Becoming a King, the book, God is using it pretty deeply to make us aware of the consequences that we have brought to the kingdom that we have been entrusted with. And so the first re is the reaction, crap, I have actually caused a lot of harm and I have run over my wife and I have hurt my kids and I have actually done all of these for the sake of answering my own questions and I don't want that anymore. I now, as I approach my future, I know that I, I see now the responsibility that I have for this kingdom God has given me and I don't want to make the mistakes that I've been making. Where do I start? How do I, what, what are sort of practical steps to make sure that I'm walking more in union with Jesus from a position of son for the sake of my kingdom instead of for the sake of the self. Um, mm. And so I, I love your thoughts on that. Um, now, I was just made aware of all of these realities and it yes. is a decade and I don't want yes. to cause more, more harm. I may and I will still fall, but how do I, how do I realign myself with this new reality um, in, in light of just be, beginning the journey? Yeah, Pablo, it's a vital question, and it's a very hopeful question. And, and to be fair, a year ago or a decade ago, I would have felt in my body it's vital and it's very um, discouraging because what the hell do I do with this mess, right? It was like overwhelming. I don't know where to start, but here's, here's what I want to share is the wildness of God is this path is available to everyone. Mm -hmm. Every human being, because the most important thing we can know about a person is that they are created in the image of God. Every human being, every race, every socioeconomic group, broken or restored, young or old, it's available to all, but few choose it. But here's the key. I believe it is always being made available to every person at every moment. And that's the wild intimacy of God. You have an on-ramp. Mm -hmm. I have an on-ramp today. Um, you know, uh, I, I couldn't find my phone this morning. And so there was a window of some of preparation of my prayer this morning that I, I that got taken away because I had to leave for work. I couldn't get my phone, but I, I was biking to work and it's all downhill. And I could feel this 
adrenaline, this kind of um, self-life resurrecting when I know I don't, you guys don't need me. You need Christ in me. And so it's a sunny morning. And I chose in that moment, the narrow gate being made available to me is don't keep cranking, go slower. And in the five minute coast to work, I could feel the warm summer air in Colorado, which is rarely in warm in Colorado. I could feel the sun. I went by a group of 12 bucks in their velvet, just happy summer bucks, like you guys, like kings in summer. And by the time I got to my door at my office, like my heart was buoyed. It was like when you try to hold down a, a buoy underwater and it just wants to pop. That was my experience in five minutes. And so what I want to say is wherever you are in your story, like whoever you've become and whatever you have missed or messed up, there is a particular narrow gate being made available to you. And it's simply the next thing. And what I want to suggest is most of the time, it is very kind. The heart of God manifesting his kindness. It's very small. It's very simple. It, it has much more to do with direction over destination. It has much more to do with a two-degree shift and instead of a 180. You know, Joshua was doing this lacrosse practice with this elite coach and elite team. And I was watching them, and they were just doing the reps and doing the reps. And the coach came over to him, and he said, um, 1%, 1% a day. Over days, we change 100%. 100%. And he smiled, and he said, Joshua, we did 2% today. Hmm. And Joshua was like, <laughs> like he just rose up. And all they did was reps and reps and reps and do it again and do it again, these small drills. And I went, hmm. oh, if I did a percent a day of change, if I, and so the question becomes, what's the narrow gate? Not, that's not a theolo that's not a religious question. That's not a theological question. That's a, that's a friend to friend question. That's a son to father question. The father's initiating, we're responding. And so that's why this mantra has come out of becoming a king of live in the day and measure in the decades, live in the day and measure in the decades. And that's been the shift because I used to live in the decade and measure in the day. Like most people handle the stock market. You watch it go up and down and you become schizophrenic. But over a decade, history tells us that you're, you're good. Like you're okay and you're going to grow. And so how do I live in the day? That is to say, become aware of this present narrow gate and then only measure in a decade or longer. And that's the shift. But that's why I say it's vital and it's hopeful because that's our frontier. We get to this question as you walk off this call, what is your frontier? Like what is just the next piece? Because it's God the Father that's orchestrating your story, not you. It's not up to you. Your task is to listen and respond to his leadership. And that is a lot lighter and that's a lot more joy centered. That is so, so hopeful. Just that one phrase, just I, I see my heart beginning to be filled with hope, not the anxiety of I messed up. How do I not make mess up anymore? How do I stop creating this harm? But wait a second, I'm actually responding to something that the father initiated. So it's not, it's not ultimately not up to me.
I that exactly. took to see what is it that you're doing and how can I participate in that? And it's not up to me to just clean up the mess and get my freaking act together finally. It is how exactly. do I as a son to what you're initiating as a father and cultivating that. Exactly. That's so good. Thank you, more. And that's like even Sean, back to your question of like, it's really asking a deeper question of who's in charge and where does the power come from? And so long as we are the center of our story, and that can be out of a good heart, like, and it can be a good story. It still is what Brene Brown name that I just love is it's engineering smallness. That's what we are. Most of us have a PhD. I do in engineering smallness. And it's like, how's that working for you? But instead, when we know that we actually are grafted into a larger story in which like God has a particular place, then we know it's not up to us. There is a power being enacted. And that's where the daily steps, the moment micro choices is what is it that I can do in my power that makes me accessible to a power that I can't control that's beyond me. And that's why I got bike ride this morning. It shifted everything. It's what I could do, not just muscle it, but just receive, slow down and let God's breath, God's wind fill me. And I was a different person in a few minutes. Hmm. Morgan, um, I think for me, I I was a little startled by one of my BGS uh, colleagues posted a note on Facebook that said it's been four years since, since I went, we went through the become good soil. And I sit here just kind of reflecting on this particular session and realizing that this message or this segment, this one session here is, is the next part of my frontier. It's, it's very much um, the next part of my initiation. And I, I've, I've come to that realization through just some great pain over the last six months and in, in not walking in step with the father and um, by God's grace over this last weekend at the, at the retreat, we were able to really, you know, clean out that wound and, and get the pain. This mostly the assault on my identity as son kind of a, a addressed. Uh, thanks in large part with Jeff and Mark's care, but the the heart for me is is uh, the question is what are the what are the rhythms what are the disciplines um, you know that you have found helpful in your day that is played a role in cultivating this this day to day intimacy this um, even what Dallas Willard talks about the minute by minute or hour by hour um, with God life. It's like, for me, I start the day and I, I consecrate it. I I've started, I've this frontier for me with, with, with all of this is, is, um, is my work life. And so this, you know, we got these journals and so I've made this journal, my, my, place where I'm now inviting God into my work and I'm taking notes for work, but it's, uh, that's where the frontier is for me. And my, so my question is for you, what, where is that? What are those rhythms? What are those disciplines? What are those things that you do so that once work starts, once the bullets start flying, Mm -hmm. that you're able to maintain that connection or come back to that connection 
with with the father to to walk in step with him when you know when there's stuff coming at you and the pressure's on yeah jonathan like pablo's question i would say it's vital and it's very hopeful and before it would have been vital and very heavy for me because it would have been like okay fierce mastery i'm gonna knock this out give me 12 more things and i'm gonna kill it and then i get tired and then it feels heavy and then i feel like i screwed up nine out of 12 and what you will know by its fruit and so i think what i would offer to that um I remember sitting, there was some, observing some young men talking to Dallas Willard, just kind of a sage Yoda-esque guy. And they asked him the question, a very similar question, what do I practice, you know, and, and in, on, on an ordinary day. And Dallas, in his kind, grandfatherly, unhurried posture said, you have to be very careful with that question. Indeed, there are no ordinary days. Like just that, mm-hmm. right? It was enough. Like, holy shit, you're right. Like, on most days they are extraordinarily, and most of them I'm extraordinarily getting my butt kicked, right? <laughs> like, just the kindness of like it's a war out there. It's bloody battle. And so he went on to say, "What is it that I can do every day that's available to me on any day?" And just as a young, passionate struggling man he had my attention because i went now that's a better question because i don't need 12 more things to do you know um and and through that practice i found and actually i'll tell you two things in that because in in the first one i've never shared um but it's today and it's something i've been practicing for the last six days for the first time in my life but the thing that i have been practicing for a decade that's available to me every day is beginning my day before i get out of bed before i take a leak When I'm first conscious, I simply pause and say, God, you're my father and I'm your son. Just Mm -hmm. in my heart, God, you are my father. I declare it. Even when I don't feel it, 99% of the time I don't feel it. I say, God, you are my father. I'm declaring it. It's a power enacted and you're my son. And so I invite you to father me today. And you guys, that has changed everything. Because it's the lens by which I see as I rise to the reality that is my life, right? It's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. When you put on that helmet, many helmets have a lens. It's an interpretation by which we see. But the discipline that I've been practicing the last six days, I've added to that one other thing. Father, show me what you did yesterday. Remind me because I've already forgotten I've already lost the treasure of yesterday. Last night, I took my wife on a date, which is rare. And we went on a bike ride, which is rare. And we went to the Falcon Trail at the Air Force Academy, which I've ridden for 20 years. And she's never ridden. And the number of times I've been on that trail going, I wish my wife would come and see this beauty. But last night, we did it. And I just laid in bed this morning, reveling in my father fought for something that was holy, that was unorchestrated and unplanned until hours before. And I just reveled in, I have a father and this is what he did for me yesterday. And you guys, like just the shift to rise from my bed before I even think about the 15 other things that I could do to grow and the 14 of them I'll screw up. Like that's enough. 
So what is it that you can do every day? And that is a, is a particular practice that I would invite you. Try that on. Try it on for a day. Try it on for a year. It, it, it'll change your life and it's totally accessible. Thank you. Hey Morgan, I have a, I got a question for you. Um, again, thanks so much for coming. Um, I know that our sh stories are pretty similar of just like the pain that our wives go through or have been through and us as a, as a reality. And I think I personally have, there are numerous areas of why it's hard for me to come under leadership of just not trusting that, you know, there are men around. Anyway, th that's not the point, but um, I guess what rose up for me this time and feels really vulnerable this moment is with the style, with the, um, what do you call it? The model of relating where family, like wife and kids um, come before all of that, of coming under a mentor has felt really hard for me about how do you find margin when those aren't, um, when they don't feel secure. Um, that's really interesting. I'm bookmarking that. I just feel so like, um, in regards to the yeah. question, for whatever reason. And I know that the mentoring also can come under soul care, but just curious about you riffing about like when thinking about like coming under somebody where that lays in that of like, is that soul care or mm -hmm. is that you, or is that everything else? You know, like I've just, it's hard for me, it feels really vulnerable for me to make margin for something else, even though I know yep. it's essential and my heart is good when those structures aren't, they just, I feel like, okay, I got to tend those first. So. Yep. Grant, first off, uh, it's a joy to see your face. We've had some holy miles together. I think in this moment, what I want to re reflect back to you is what I hear in your question is you using the word vulnerable to describe a particular situation. And secondly, you're saying, this is what I'm something I'm, I have a lot of feel around talking about this category. So apart from your question, that's the gold. I want to suggest, okay, chase that, right? That's part of your frontier. Um, I would be curious about the vulnerability and how you're feeling in the question, which I think we can all relate to. And then secondly, that's a very important question and to honor the space. Um, I just released a podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's called in search of the father. Uh, and it was a beautiful interview that I was interviewed by, by some younger guys and it's on becomegoodsoil.com in search of the father. So rather than squeeze it into this slot, it's a very important question. And I would invite you all when you get some time to go to that podcast session on become good soil um, in search of a father. I just want to honor the dialogue that if there's a lot rising up in my heart, um, if there's something you want to share as well, wide open, this is a, this is a, a circle of men becoming. I, We're going to hide. Oh, go ahead, go. John. No, Tim, 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 sorry. Hey, Morgan, I'll jump in. I, it's good to see your face, man. Um, yeah. Great to see you, Nathan, man. Um, you know, I haven't started the journey six years ago, too, and, and, and taken some lumps along the way. My dad got sick and passed away about four years ago, and so we've just had some, some tough miles. But when I started the journey, we had our oldest was six years old, my son. And so I guess I want to – I would be curious to hear your just thoughts on parenting, right, just as a man under construction, right, as a son who's fathering three young kids. Um, 
I'm just curious your thoughts. You know, I, I know that sometimes just those God sent so much in my own heart too, but I notice sometimes my impatience with myself can rub off on my own kids. Right. And so with, I think my frustration of being under construction too, and the way that that can rub off of them too. And when the oldest was six, I think I felt like there was a little bit more margin, right. It felt like they were still young and, and growing too. And so my oldest will be 12 next month, my son too. And so we've been doing some cool things of initiation too, but I'm just curious if you could speak to just parenting and just, um, as a son, right. And, and also just feeling kind of the kids getting a little bit older, right. And feeling the pressure of, man, I'm not far ahead of you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to, mm-hmm. and I want to love you well and care for your heart. Well, um, yeah. If you could just speak to parenting as a son a little bit, maybe I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts. Well, Nathan, first of all, I just love the phrase of parenting as a son. Like it's just beautiful. And just that you're asking the question, one of the most hopeful realities of this message is I believe that when we consent to the path and process, we'll be teaching in a decade out of the place of our greatest pain and struggle today. That's the hopefulness. Wherever your pain is, wherever your struggle is, if you consent to this, you will be teaching out of that to others, formally or informally, a decade from now. Um, In this realm of parenting, one mentor early in this process, uh, it was like almost 20 years ago now, said to me, um, if we want to evaluate how we're doing as a parent, we can begin to ask that question gently, if at all, when our kids turn 40. <laughs> I could just feel the weight come off, right? That's very different yeah. when you evaluate it day by day. Like right now, I am in step with my 16-year-old son and his initiation. We are rolling. And right now with my 13-year-old daughter and her initiation, I am blowing it. It feels like a catastrophe. The score is Abigail 48, dad zero in connection. Like I I, I just can't, I, I can't find the gear. And I would have beat myself up as a younger man And I still feel some shame around it and I'm struggling daily. But deeper than that, I know I'm practicing the the art of non-evaluation. My heart is engaged. I'm staying in a posture of curiosity to God. God, you know my daughter's heart. I want to be a student of her heart and attentive to your story for her. And God, I ask you, how do I participate with that? It's a very different posture. And so uh, what I would suggest is non-evaluation is huge. And what I would say, and and again, this isn't a shortcut, but to honor our time, I just put together a devotional that I tried to sit back and reflect on that over my last 15 years to say, what are some of the big ideas that have formed it? And you can get on becomegoodsoil.com under the arsenal. It's a free deal. And I just captured the seven. There's probably about 30 that are central themes, but I, I, I tried to grab some of the, the, the most forefront that are shaping the way in which I see. You know, none of us see things as they are. We see as we are. We see dimly. We see as we are. And so there's, it's, it's secrets to raising wholehearted kids. So I encourage you just download that. It's really helpful. But I think fundamentally to respond to your question, Nathan, 
with another question. How do I become the person that I want my son or daughter to become? That's the most fundamental question. And it's not a simple response. Um, it's, it's, but it is a really healthy and hopeful orientation. The, the number one question I've received over 22 years of fighting for the hearts of men is how do I initiate my children and more specifically my son? more than any other question. And that question, I believe, mostly comes out of fear, pressure, and rooted in some fundamental belief of, I don't have what they need. But I have never in 22 years had someone ask me, I, I want to offer to my children who I've become, but I'm not sure how to do that. Because what's so beautiful is that's intuitive. It's in you. We offer who we have become. Uh, and so it's not a simple response, but it is an orientation because you will find your way as a parent when you make first and foremost your process of becoming the kind of person that can steward their hearts well. And just a simple example, the one thing I longed for in my household growing up that I couldn't put words to until my 30s was for my mom or my dad to look at me and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've never received those words. I've received a lot, but I've never received an apology. And without an apology, there's just not ownership for what shame and fear did in their life. In contrast, my buddy Alex was telling me a story yesterday that his daughter was on a sleepover with a couple different girls and they were in a tent together and, and little Zoe came back to Alex yesterday or the day before and said, hey dad, can you believe this? This other girl named her Emmy said that her parents have never said I'm sorry to her ever. Can you believe that? And Alex just sat back and, and just had this grin because he, he's always feeling like he's blowing it. Like I'm feeling like I'm blowing it. Like we're all feeling like we're blowing it. And he's like, I have created a culture in my family that apparently my daughter is shocked by a friend whose parents never say, I'm sorry. And, and that's the father manifesting in their household. How holy is that? That, he's become the kind of person that can say, Zoe, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And so these are deep word waters. And I definitely encourage you sit in that devotional because they're just these big ideas to frame a decade, but uh, there's a lot more, but hopefully that's a bit of an on-ramp. Yeah. Thanks Morgan. I appreciate that. So Morgan, I got a, I got a question for you. You're, um, so you've, you've consented to a decade of, of choosing in the direction of becoming a king, letting God form you and shape you and consenting to this process. Um, thank you for that because um, it gives me hope. Um, and on the other side of it, when we were praying earlier and asking about, like, Father, what are the questions that um, – um, that we have today, the, the question that was coming up on me is, is 
on the opposite side of this decade, um, where are you growing today in this message, in this journey? Like where is, where is the, the frontier, if you will, where, where is this process seem like it's still taking on more for you? If that makes sense. Oh, it does. Yeah. These are just such big questions. Um, I, it's I such a small space, right? <laughs> right. Um, but I think Chris, what I would say is there's this interesting kind of tandem. Um, there is more frontier in my life today than there was a decade ago. Mm. There's more that I see that's unfinished than a decade ago, but that's only because of what God has restored over a decade. Mm. So I, again, I share that with a lot of hopefulness. There's more peace. There's more joy. There's more intimacy in my marriage. My kids are more wholehearted. Like one mentor said, we reap in the next decade what we sow in this decade. And my kids at 16 and 13, I am reaping the fruit of consenting to excavation, consenting to death, consenting to the lowest seat at the table, consenting to no shortcuts over a decade ago. I'm reaping the fruit. And so like, you'll know it by its fruit. And all I want to say is this works, this works, it's life, it's joy. Mm -hmm. And there is so much frontier. Mm -hmm. um, because that's the orientation of masculine initiation, right? Like I said in the video is heaven is the consummation of our earthly apprenticeship. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. That's what I want on my grave marker. That day will come. And so it's both and, and just in a real practical example for me, one is my marriage. Like um, Sherry and I have re restored enough and healed enough that now we're getting to the deeper things. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and it's a frontier, like so much so that uh, we're choosing to be remarried uh, on our 20th anniversary because I've just oh, had cool. this honest envy of second marriages, I'm like, honestly, I'm just confessing. I'm like, well, you get a second turn and you get to be married today without all that shit and, and, and get to like a do-over. That's so unfair. Like if I could get married to her today, like we would be amazing with all this crap that we're carrying. And God mm -hmm. said, oh, you can. He said, everyone gets a second chance. Oh, Alex man. and I were sitting around talking about this and we said, you know, we're just laughing. He go, we go, man, I can't wait to, to meet my second wife because she's going to like me way better than this one likes me because I'm less of an asshole, you know? Like, I'm kinder. I'm gentler. And then God said, no, you can get remarried. In other words, I will give you an opportunity to let all that stuff go that you're carrying, mm. all that stuff against yourself and all that stuff against her. You can, you can get remarried. Mm. So 20 years, we're getting remarried. And we're going to dump all that stuff and we get, we get a do over. Everyone mm. gets a second chance. And Sherry and I just keep laughing, talking about our second marriage and like how amazing <laughs> it's going to be because we're not carrying around all this crap. Like the kingdom of God is like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's a frontier for me. I, and I think another frontier um, is, is uh, just to name is, is like um, kings invite men to die. 
because life gives way to death so that death can give away to a greater life. That's what a king's sacred trust is. I invite you to die. And a king cannot lead another man where he's not been. Hmm. And when I sit around with the most wise sages that I know in their later years, their lives are the embodiment of love. They become people of love. Hmm. And when I'm around them, I know that I have not yet become a wholehearted loving human being. Hmm. And that comes through decades of death. Hmm. And I can tell you, Christopher, in my frontier, there is a lot in me that has to die that I am not willing to die to yet. Hmm. And that those are examples of it's always frontier. It's so hopeful because I'm not who I was and I'm not who I will one day become. Thanks Morgan. That's, that's hopeful and encouraging. Thank you. Good. Morgan, I've got a question for you. My, My name is Forrest and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts with us. Um, I've told Pablo this as he's led us as well, but my unborn children are benefiting greatly from the things that we're learning from all of this. Um, hey, so this, this invitation into kingship is obviously designed to be in union with God as he entrusts us with these opportunities. Um, I'm even thinking about in Luke when it says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Um, I'm even thinking about David going from being a shepherd to um, being called to take a leap into being a warrior against Philistines and then taking the literal seat of a king. Um, So on one hand, we can't always define or identify uh, the scope or portion of how God invites us into kingship. But on another hand, um, there seems like there's just like this great possibility of being wounded in the process of uh, stepping into kingship if done improperly. Like I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. the kid whose dad walks out and then he has to um, step up prematurely to be the man of the household. So um, I even fear sometimes for myself that my own passion and motivation could be what causes me to take a leap into kingship over too much at the wrong time. Um, yes. So yes. would you mind sharing some words and wisdom around what it looks like to be in union with God um, in the context of stepping into and identifying good kingship opportunities? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, it's a sacred space. There's a scripture that says God causes the falling and rising of kingdoms. You just reflect on that. That's holy ground. But you look around the world and kingdoms rise and kingdoms plummet overnight. These are deep waters. And what I would say is what most, if not all of us share in common is becoming a king too quickly, becoming a king too young. And it takes two different forms. I would say there's two predominant energies. One is like you said, Forrest, that we are forced to. Right. My, my dear friend whose son shagged, he was a pastor and he shagged the uh, church secretary. And then he got found out and he looked his son in the eye on their front doorstep. As he walked out and he said, 
you're the man of the household now. And he left. He left the house and he left it all. And, and my friend still to this day has a battle with scarcity because it feels like he's the man of the household. He's got to make it happen. And he's also become a son. And now he lives in increasing abundance and it's beautiful. But so many men were forced to be a king too young, too early. The other thing is we were seduced into it because of our gifting and our unanswered question. And so we chose it. We consented to it. That was my story. So much of it is, you know, I was told you're more mature than your age. And that's actually many, in many ways, an indictment because it says you have more gifting than you have more than maturity. And we're going to put you at work. And this happens in churches all along. You have kings, pastors building kingdoms, and they need help to keep building. So they find you and make you the youth pastor because you need to build the kingdom, right? It's, or it's in business, right? It's the middle managers where they see gifting and an uninitiated king says, that can help me build my kingdom. And it's codependency where both are self-serving and it's really wounding and even traumatizing. And so I believe almost every man, if not every man, has some story of too much kingdom too quickly. And we, 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 we discover when that's the reality of the model, when the storm comes, when the drought crumb, comes, the condition of the roots are realized, are revealed. When you have a drought, you know how deep they go. When you have a storm, you know how stable they are. And the storms will come. They will come. The scriptures are very clear. There's a way things work. And so what I would suggest first is how do you excavate your story to identify where you were made a king too young and too early, either by your own reaching, using your gifting beyond your maturity, or by being appointed by an older man who left their seat, who left their place and, and made, made you to be required of. So having said that for us, what I would say is the fundamental shift of becoming a king and all the work of becoming good soil is to become a king is actually not about kingship. It's like telling the acorn, you need to become an oak tree. So figure it out. An acorn doesn't need to be told. It's within the acorn. So the task to the gardener is how do you provide nourish, nourish, nourishment in the form of good soil? How do you remove the weeds? How do you provide sunlight? How do you provide rivers of life? How do you cultivate an atmosphere over time that that acorn can become that which is already deposited into us. And that, and back to your question on, on parenting, you know, Nathan, like that was a fundamental place in parenting is it's in them. Joshua was made to become a man and it's the father's desire and heart. And I believe his, his central intention. And so therefore my posture is how do I create, how do I cultivate the right atmosphere that piece by piece he can become who he knows he is meant to be. I don't need to orchestrate that. And so you will become a king. You will become, um, you will be given kingdoms. 
and the zeros metaphorically rise and fall. But the question is when the king kingdom comes, have you become the man that can actually steward it on behalf of others rather than use the kingdom fundamentally to answer your own need for validation? And even back to, you know, Sean's comment of that's why so much of it comes under pressure because even as good men and we're entrusted with a big kingdom, we stay as an orphan and live in pressure instead where we can actually become like Christ, where he's entrusted with the greatest kingdom there ever was with the greatest pressure there could ever be to save all of human kind. And he was relaxed. He was unhurried and he was at ease with himself. That's amazing. Thank you, man. That's huge. It's massive. Really appreciate it. Morgan, um, I know that there are just some wonderful things that uh, you have written that come from your heart in becoming a king. And since you last uh, stopped writing, um, the world has changed in a lot of ways. You know, we've got COVID, we've got so many different things. Guys on this call have changed a lot in their day. Are there any ideas in the book that you find yourself just saying, I am so glad that's there now. It's all the more relevant, all the more important. And I don't want to miss that in this season. Mm. Yeah, Jeff, um, I, I think it really is a question of stewardship. Like the question behind the question I would, I would ask back is how, what are we doing with what's been entrusted to our care? Because I feel like the message of becoming a king is it just, it's wildness of God's timing that he would have a message of how do you become the kind of person that can be handled, um, that can be entrusted with power in a world that's being shaken and is launched in the week where we have in the spotlights the, 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 the ter terrific nature of a man being entrusted with power and bringing harm to other human beings and causing riots around the world, right? And so I feel like validated by God of all of it is what I've been entrusted with. And I feel like I'm being faithful to steward it. And so my question to each of you is, what are you being entrusted with and how are you stewarding that sacred trust? Because that's a very personal question, Jeff, and it's very unique to each of us. And that's where I believe we have to put that lens on of this is my story. This is who God made me to be. I mean, the fundamental questions of initiation that Joshua and I hold for both of us as we are maturing um, to get to reflect back, Jeff, who is God really? Who am I really as a unique man and also as a man? What is the story in which we live and what is my frontier? And it's those four questions that I'm holding as sort of the primary lens by which I view all of reality so that I can continue to stay on the path of maturing, increasing maturity and increasing union with God. And so I'm just grateful to, on this day, 
be found at my post, whether it was publishing, becoming a king and doing the hidden work um, or being on this call with you guys that is just strengthening my soul. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Mark. And I think that that it's a, it's a good moment to say this feels like enough for this session. There is so much. And um, I, I know that all the guys feel the way that I do, saturated by the love of God and by hopefulness in what the next decade can bring for all of us. And as you were sharing some of those thoughts, God was bringing to me a passage from Gates of Fire. Some of us were mining this back at the, um, this past weekend. And I want to read this and then pray and bring this time to a close. But as Morgan was describing earlier, not as the end of this journey, but as the beginning, as an invitation to continue becoming, taking that path and becoming the men that God created us to be over the course of the next decade and beyond. And also knowing that we don't have to do it alone, that we, can, we get to do it together because we want the same ultimately. So let me read. This is um, the squire that survived the Battle of Thermopylae talking to, king, to the king of the Persian armies who enslaved about a million people to come against the kingdom of Greece. Uh, he is telling him who Leonidas was, the King Leonidas whom he served. And he says, I will tell his majesty what a king is. The king does not abide within his tent while his men bleed and die upon the field. A king does not dine while his, men, while his men go hungry, nor sleep when they stand and watch upon the wall. A king does not command his men loyalty through fear, nor purchase it with gold. He earns their love by the sweat of his own back and the pains he endures for their sake. That which comprises the hardest burden, a king lives first and sets down last. A king does not require service of, of those who he leads, but provides it to them. He serves them, not they him. That is a king, your majesty. A king does not expend his, his substance to enslave men, but by his conduct. The invitation is to a decade, and that's treating you with dignity to say that. I used to not share that um, in the earliest part of the event, and then I learned during the Become Good Soil Intensives, it's the first thing we share out of the gates is make no mistake, this is only an introduction. But a couple weeks ago, we had a campfire at my house with the first 12 men that I had asked them, would they, would they be willing to choose to care for their own souls with the dignity that God extends to them to say, I'm worth it. And God's worth it to give a decade to this being the centerpiece of my life, this examining my inner world so that I can believe that I am a king, and now I must become a king. And 10 years later, within 24 hours to the day, we sat at my home, a campfire, 11 of the 12 of us. And it was a decade. And guys, when I put that out there, they and I was like, that's too much. That's too long. It's, it's like impossible. And we sat there. And I can stand here as a witness to say the fruit of their lives every one of them but one. And the one guy, he was stuck. He was stuck about where we started. And I was sad for him um, because it seemed like he just was not willing to do this work. 
And yet every other person chose to engage pretty wholeheartedly in what we're doing here. And we lived through a decade and every one of us said, I want more. I want more. There was more peace. The, the battles raged. Everyone was facing even a bigger battle and a bigger risk than they had a decade before. But every one of those men said, I have more peace. I have more joy. I have better quality of relationship. I have more meaning in my work. I know God better. I'm known by God matter, better. And I want more. And so I share that as a very specific reality, like that I have experienced myself that it works, but it really is a choice. So today really is an end or a beginning in you with God and you and fellowship. Um, what would be next for you? Ask God. Jesus, that is the type of man that we want to become. And that is a type of man that we believe we are and you have chosen us to be. So we say yes. I say yes, Jesus, to this journey of transformation, this journey of restoration, this journey of reconstruction. I say yes, Lord, to the next decade. I choose the narrow road. I choose to take the lowest seat of the table and learn and ask questions i used to become a, I, I choose to become a son would you father me i choose to to believe that it is not up to me that you are the one orchestrating this journey that you're the one inviting me to co-write this story with you that you are good that i don't have to do it on my own that is not up to me. So with my whole heart and with my whole life, I say yes. I say yes to you wholeheartedly. Would you shape me? Would you mold me? Would you forge me into the man that you created me to be? Would you show me who you really are? Would you reveal yourself to me as you are? Would you reveal to me who I am uniquely? Would you reveal to me the story that I, that I am a part of, the story that I, might, that I find myself in and my role in it? And would you reveal to me my frontier? What is that first step? What is that one specific specific? invitation to shift two degrees to take one step with you and start this journey for the next 10 years you have my yes yes and together Lord as a band of brothers we give you thanks and we pray that you would strengthen our brotherhood that you would create divine appointments, divine alliances within this group, the few, those like-hearted kings moving in the same direction so that if one is at war, we all are. Would you show me who is that one man that I can strengthen relationships with, 
and sign those treaties. Yes. Would you awaken me to the reality that you are fathering me through sages and men who have gone before me? Would you show me who those men are? Would you awaken in my heart the desire to ask questions, to come humbly as a son and approach them with curiosity, with, with humility and honor and ask, how would you do this? How would you approach that? Show me how you want to father me, which sages and mentors are before me. Jesus, would you awaken my heart to the possibility of becoming a student of my wife's heart and my children's heart? Would you show me who they are? Would you allow me to see them through your eyes? Would you guide me to love them well, to shape them, to, to create an atmosphere uh, of where they can flourish, a habitat where they can become who you created them to be? I confess right here, right now, that they need you more than they need me, that my wife needs you more than she needs me. And so I ask that you would show me what your plan is for her, what, you, what her frontier is, and what is my role in her restoration? What is my role in her journey? Would you show me the same thing about my children? You are their father more than I am. Would you reveal to me what is it that you're cultivating in them in this season? And what is my role in it? How can I join you in what you are doing? It is not up to me. It is up to you. And so I say yes. I say yes to play my role, to bring my portion at your pace. I let go of outcomes, Jesus. I let go of control. I confess that I don't have, that I cannot control the outcomes. It is beyond my control. So instead of striving and trying to force them, I come to trust you and to give myself to you and say, would you take care of the outcomes? I choose to be a son. We give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks for this. We worship you for all of this. We worship you for our time together. For the joy of this brotherhood, we give you thanks for Morgan and his willingness to come and fight for us. And we pray blessings over him, a double portion of what you have given us may be given unto him and his family. We pray that you would take this message to the end of the world and that the same that is happening in our hearts, the same in the same way we are being transformed and shaped, that you would reach the many to find the few and that through this message, you would shape and form the men who are shaping and for, forging and forming your kingdom. We bless Morgan and we bless this message in the name and in the authority of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's such a privilege and honor that Pablo and his allies would invite us and give us permission to enter their sacred circle in the form of broadcasting this recording. I hope that you gained some treasures. I hope that it incites you to dig deeper and take the journey a bit farther. As we mark this 
anniversary of the first year of becoming a king, going out to the world, I do want to invite you to pray and ask God, what would be the next step? Going deeper in the book, the video series, the study guide, shepherding a group through the material, or inviting others to taste and see some of these treasures. If there are podcasts that have stood out for you over these last seven years, if there's some blog that you remember that really moved you, I would invite you to pray this week and ask God to shine his light and show you the faces of the people that may be strengthened by this mission and message and consider passing it on to them. And in the next Become Good Soil podcast, we'll go into part two of this intimate campfire series where I have some more behind the scenes treasures to share with like-hearted allies around the globe. Let's keep going.